for today, uh, as we consider our vision series here at Cross City and what God has asked us, what we believe God has asked us, and who he says that we are, we, we want to re- return to these things and continue to come back to these things because as God's people, we are forgetful. We see that all throughout the Bible. The people of God are constantly forgetting who they are and what God has done for them. And so we want to remind ourselves and we want to come back to these things. And these things, we believe, these, these, these things aren't just things that sound good to us. These things aren't uh, things that we sit around as pastors and go, okay, what are the things that can help us really have a, a really high-functioning and successful and large uh, church organization. That's not, our, that's not our highest goal. Obviously, we want people to come to know Jesus. We want to we reach people for Him. But, but our goal is not so that not the, those ends are not the, the ultimate goal in and of themselves. Each of the things that we have been talking about and will talk about are things that we, we believe come out of the reality that God has already laid out for us as His people. God has, God has established reality for us. And, and so we hold to them as a response to what God has said to be true. And this is, this is important. This isn't, these aren't things that we come up with um, at our pastor's retreat, which we just got back from. And we don't, we don't put our plan together and then send it up the chain and, and ask for God to give us his stamp of approval. And say, God, will you, just, will you just bless all the things that we think we should do? It's not, it's not what we do. It's not how we approach it. it also, it's not, also not us saying that these things are aspirational for us, that if we, if we do these things and we accomplish these things in the right way, then we will have the favor of God on us in our church. And God will be nice to us, or nicer to us. Our hope is that we would look to God to tell us who we are. And how we should live. That's our hope. And that we then would prayerfully organize ourselves and our lives and our church around the reality of who God says that we are and how that we should live. Based on His decree. But because we are human, because we're fallen and we're frail and we're weak, these things will always be sort of clouded realities for us as we strive to, to live in the way that God wants us to live. We're never going to do it perfectly. No church ever does it perfectly. We stumble our way through. Since we continually battle sin, we battle an enemy who wants to destroy the ways that God has for us, the joy that we have in Him. But praise God, right? Praise God that the success or the failure of our church, doesn't ultimately rest in the hands of faulty and frail humans like me and like you. God is the one who builds His church. This is His promise to us. And He tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. That's His promise to us. And our job is to listen to Him and to believe what He says and to follow Him. That's, that's freeing. That's joy-giving. And He knows that we can't do it, so He gives us His Spirit to dwell in us. Ephesians 2 tells us that in Christ, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's, that is the work that the Spirit is doing amongst us in this room. 
That's incredible. Think about that. That God is building us together. Together. As a dwelling place. That God can dwell amongst us. And He's doing it by His Spirit. Not by our work, our efforts, our behavior. By His Spirit in and through us. So, we do not confess expertise. Right? We don't confess special knowledge. We don't confess special revelation. What do we confess? We confess Jesus. We confess Christ. That is our confession. As it talks about in Hebrews, all throughout the New Testament. We hold fast to this confession. What is our confession? Not how great we are. Not how smart we are. We, we confess Christ and our dependence on Him as His people, as pastors, as members of the church, as followers of Jesus. We confess Him. That's the only way. It's the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. And so, as we seek to determine what is the vision of our church, that means we don't, we don't have to hire a fancy advertising agency. There's nothing wrong with those. If, you want to, if you're trying to sell something, those are good and helpful and right. But we don't have to come up with a new and novel idea for what we can do. We, we already have the idea. Our, our job is to labor in prayer before Him in faithfulness and obedience to what He has already called us to do. And God has spoken and we listen to Him. So in the first week, we talked about delighting in God, delighting in Him, beholding Him, and delighting in Him as His spiritual family, right? The highest good, this is a, this is a significant claim, right? We believe that the highest good for any person is to see and to behold and enjoy the beauty and the glory of God. That's the highest good. And as God's people, we are called to this together as his adopted family. And so we are together called to be God's delighted family. His adopted sons and daughters who are delighting in him, beholding his glory together. And then last week, we talked about that as God, as we delight in him together as his family, and we see his glory as our greatest good, God then sends us out to tell the world around us where they too can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can see the glory of God. Proclaim it. We, we talk about it. We live as if, it's, as if it's true. Because we have been reconciled back to God in Christ, we are sent out as agents of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. And it's God making His appeal to the world through us. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. God is appealing to the world through His people to be reconciled back to Him. And that's our role. We get to be a part of that. And so today, we look at the foundation of this. The foundation of all of this. How do we know what God says? How do we know what He's like? How do we know what He has done? How do we know how we should live? We are able to see and know these things because God has given us His Word. God's Word is vital. and It's necessary. And we are called as God's people to know it 
and to believe it and to obey it. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're, we're called to know God's word, to believe God's word, and to obey God's word. So let's look at our text for today. 2 Timothy 3, 16, and I'm going to add in 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, short history lesson. Bear with me. A little over 500 years ago, in 1516, there was a man named Erasmus. Don't worry about it. You don't need to know much about him. <laughs> but we need to know this. What Erasmus did was he produced the first printed, mass-produced, printed copy of, and copies of the Greek New Testament. He produced Greek New Testament. Printed, right? Before they had to write it all down. But he, he, he was made it available for it to be mass-produced, this Greek New Testament, the language that the, Old Tes- the New Testament was written in. This was significant. This made it possible now for the New Testament to be widely distributed. It was much easier for people to begin to study it widely and deeply for themselves instead of having handwritten copies that were largely possessed by priests and bishops and the church at the time. It was harder to get your hands on a copy. And if you know much more about church history, you'll notice that one year later, in 1517, there was a guy named Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. He was named after Martin Luther. He started what is now known as the Protestant Reformation. I told you it's a brief history lesson. Bear with me here. It's not going to be much longer. And what this basically means is that as people started to be able to more widely engage with the Scriptures themselves... God began to show them how the church at that time had been going astray. The doctrine of the church at that time was was largely controlled by the Pope, by the councils. And there were things at that time that were being added on to Christians that were being called necessary for salvation that were not biblical. They were not from the Scriptures. And they were being put in, they were on, being put on Christians as if they were necessary for salvation. And so the church at that time needed a reformation. It needed to be reformed. And Martin Luther, along with many others at that time, began to call out the church leaders and say, hey, this is wrong. What you guys are teaching, in addition to what the gospel, is not right. It's it's. It needs to be reformed. We have to go back to the Scriptures to see what we should do and how we should live and, and what the Gospel actually is. And their cry was that salvation is not determined by our works and is not determined by the opinion or the judgment of a Pope or any other leader of the church. Their cry was that salvation comes to us not by our works or our merit, but by grace and by grace alone. That's how it comes to us. And it is not dis- is, it's not administered or determined by the Pope, but that it was accomplished by Christ and Christ alone. And the way that that comes to us 
It's not by us doing the right things for God or giving certain things to the church. Salvation comes to us by faith and by faith alone. It's the only way it comes to us. And this grace alone that is accomplished by Christ alone and it comes to us by faith alone happens for, the re- for one reason and for one purpose. It happens so that God and God alone will be glorified. So grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, for the glory of God alone. This is the gospel sort of summarized. Well, they also had one more rallying cry. They also said that all of this is found and taught by Scripture alone. This is the idea that Scripture alone is our final authority when it comes to matters of God and salvation. Scripture alone by itself is our final authority. We don't need extra revelation from a pope or from any council or from any self-proclaimed prophet. What we need is Scripture. And anyone who else, anyone who claims to have a word from God, that claim must be submitted to Scripture as the authority over them. That's what that means. In Galatians 1, Paul talks about this. He says that there is one gospel, one gospel message. It is the message that was preached and proclaimed and accomplished by Christ Himself. And if anyone, he says, anyone, including an angel, if an angel shows up and starts preaching a different gospel than the one that they received from Christ, that angel or whoever, preacher, pope, council, whoever it is, if they preach a different gospel than the one that Christ gave to them, that person is to be accursed. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what position they're in. doesn't matter how big their church is doesn't matter how many seminary degrees that they have. If they preach a different gospel than the one that, that was received from Christ to the apostles, that person is to be a curse. We're not to listen to them. No one can preach a different gospel than the one that was given by Christ and it is found in Scripture. The gospel alone is the power to save. And we know that the gospel, we, we know the gospel by the word of God. And the word of God is found in scripture alone. It's where we find the word of God. God has given us scripture. And he has told us that scripture is enough. It is sufficient for what we need. It's sufficient for us as a church, as his people, as pastors, as we try to think about what we should do. We have what we need. It's sufficient in Scripture. We don't have to go to some conference somewhere and get something extra or novel or new. We can find it here. Now, those conferences can help us to find what's in here sometimes. But we don't need something novel. We need Scripture. That's what he's saying. So, as a, as a church, we listen to all kinds of people. We're getting ready to go in a couple weeks to our district pastor's conference where we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. We learn from them. We get advice from them. But it's our responsibility to make sure that what we hear and what we learn is submitted to and in line with God's word and scripture. 
This is huge. This is really important for us. Well, why is that? Because we see here in 2 Timothy 3, that's our text for today, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is where we get the word inspired from. Expired, right? Breathed out by God. All Scripture. Old Testament, and then even into the New Testament. It's breathed out by God. We believe that all the words of Scripture are inspired by God. God intended them for, the, for them to be there. And if there is a God, and there is, and if He has spoken to us, which He has, then wouldn't it be good for us to listen to what He has to say? It would be good for us. So as a church and as individuals, we are called to be people of the Word. And I want us to see three ways that we should interact with the Word. We should know it, we should believe it, and we should obey it. Let's look at it from our text today. First, we should know the Word. We should know it. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. It says it's profitable for teaching. God God has breathed it out, He's inspired it, and it is profitable. It's good, it's right, it's sufficient for teaching. You can't be taught by something that you don't know and receive. Seems simple. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Jesus in John 15 tells us that if we want to produce fruit as believers, we must abide in him. And then he says, and his words must abide in us. We have to know God's word. We have to take it in. It has to be in our ears, our mind, our heart. We cannot survive as believers. We cannot survive as believers unless we know the Word. We must read it. We must study it. We must memorize it. This is is why it says we hide it in our hearts. We tuck it away. We, we take it in and we tuck it away and we, we make sure that we can re- access it, that the Spirit can, can re- bring it back to our minds. It's imperative for us to know God's Word. So we don't read our Bibles just as a daily activity to show Jesus that we are committed to Him. We read God's Word because we need it to survive and to produce fruit. We must know the Word of God. But simply knowing about the Word of God is not enough. Having the information in our heads is not sufficient for what it needs to produce in us. There are many who know about the Word of God. There are many Bible scholars who are not Christians. They devote themselves to studying the Bible as an ancient text as a book of wisdom, whatever the case may be, but they don't, they they know it, they know about it intellectually. There are many who would seek to use God's word for their own selfish benefit. The devil knows the word of God. Demons know the word of God. They know about it. 
They know the stories. They know the concepts. The difference is moving from knowledge of the Word of God to believing and trusting the Word of God. Not enough to just know about the Bible. We have to believe it and trust it. We must believe the Word of God. Scripture is profitable for teaching, and so we have to know it, but it's also profitable for, as it says next, for reproof, which is another word for rebuke, and for correction. For re- rebuke and correction. So we want to we know what it says. It's profitable to teach us. We've got to know all that it says, all the stories, all the themes, all the characters, all the truths, all the doctrines. We've got to know about them. But then, as we engage with it, we, we have to look to it because when we engage with it, it's the, the Word is not, Hebrews says that the Word is living and active, and it's sharper and it, than the sword, and it pierces us, cuts right to the core of who we are, and it exposes us. And this is what it's talking about. What it's doing here is it's rebuking us and correcting us. So we can know about what it says, but if we don't humble ourselves under what it's saying and allow that, that piercing to act as a, as a scalpel for, for helpful needed surgery, then we're missing it. Do you read God's Word so that it can rebuke and correct you? Or do you read God's word so that you can rebuke and correct it? Do we seek to rebuke God's word when we read it? Do we seek to correct it? Do we put ourselves over it? Or do we humble ourselves under what it's saying? This is a key. Because we can know a lot about it, but if we don't humble ourselves under it, we're going to run from it. We're not going to catch what it's trying to do to us. Well, God... I see here, God, that you're saying to me that I shouldn't sleep with whoever I want. But, you know, times have really changed. Society's really moved on. It's a bit archaic way of thinking. I can point to these four psychological studies that say monogamy is actually really bad for me. So, you know, God, I think I'm going to correct you here. I'm going to kind of rebuke you a little bit in this sort of old way of thinking. So I'm going to rebuke and correct you here for, for a moment, God, if you'll allow me. Right? This, this can be our approach to it. God, I'm really trying to earn my, my, your love here. God, I'm really, I'm really trying to work my way to you, God. I, I'm reading your word. I'm reading about all the things that I should do and all the good laws that you gave us. And, and I'm really trying my best down here, God. If you could just really bro me some favor and some help. and We're... we're God, I think I've done enough here. Don't you think, God? I mean, look at my track record. I'm way better than that guy and that lady, and right? We're, we're looking at God's Word, and we're, we're correcting it, and we're rebuking it. God, you, you owe me here. I've been really good. I've been better than a lot of people I know, and you're not giving me. You see how we can put ourselves, when we know the Word, but we don't, we don't humble ourselves before the Word and allow the Word to rebuke us and correct us. We're actually seeking to rebuke and correct it in many ways. It's important. So we must know the word. We must believe the word. We must humble ourselves before it. Everyone who reads the Bible is going to run into areas where 
God disagrees with you. Every single one of us. Every time you read it, you're going to hit something where God disagrees with you. And he says, oh. And you read it and you go, wait a second. That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem fair or right or God, that, that can't be what you mean. I need to go read a thousand other books to prove why that's not really what that means. Instead of, God, is this really what you're saying? Because I don't like it. And my flesh hates it, actually. And actually, what I feel most naturally within me hates it. The thing that I, that I crave the most, the, the, the most natural desire that I feel that flows out of me most naturally, is, is you're saying that that's actually wrong? Hold on. How could that be? How could you deny me who I really am? How could you deny me what I actually really want deep in my heart, God? What are you, who, right? You see how we can position ourselves over and above what he's saying to us in his word? And not, and not saying, okay, God, man, it seems like we really disagree on this, God. It seems like you and I have a huge disagreement on this particular thing. I feel like I should be able to eat three Big Macs every time I go through the drive-thru. And you're saying that's probably not good for me? Ah, I should take care of my body and I don't know. And other things. Everyone's going to run into things that they disagree with God about and that God disagrees with them about. The question is, how do we respond? Do we rebuke and correct God or do we humble ourselves so that we can be gently and graciously rebuked and corrected by him? Remember, remember here, when it's, these words can sound harsh to us, right? Rebuke, correct. Listen, listen to what we just talked about in Romans, right? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. So when you when you run into one of these areas where God disagrees with you. And he's saying, hey, I'm I need to rebuke you here and correct you and you, you need to change. He's not doing so from a place of condemnation. If you are in Christ Jesus. He's 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 rebuking you and he's correcting you by his word, not for your punishment. But it's his it's his fatherly discipline of you. And me. And it, and it leads to our joy, not our condemnation. It leads us to joy. This is the path that he has for us. So when we hear those words of rebuke, like, man, God would never rebuke anyone. God would never. God's nice. Right? God is love. He would never say something to me that I disagree with. If, if he needs to get on our team here, if he really wants to be with the times. It's subtle, but we can get there in our hearts. So we must know the word. We must read it and study it and memorize it and hide it in our hearts. But as we do that, we must humble ourselves underneath it and believe what it says. Believe that what, when there's a difference between me and God, the problem is not with God. And we must allow God to graciously speak into our lives and correct us so that we can, we can be led into the fullness of joy. And finally, we must obey the word of God. We know it, we believe it, and we obey it. This is probably the most scandalous one of all, right? I mean, I can, I can get with you on knowing it and believing it. But, I mean, that whole obeying thing, come on. That's a little much. That's legalistic. 
right? Isn't that legalistic to say that we should obey God? God's word is sufficient for us. It's sufficient for training and righteousness is what it says. To train us in righteousness. Amen. <laughs> See? <laughs> that was well timed. That was perfectly timed. Why don't we just play that and I'll sit down? That guy's voice is way cooler than mine. God is competent. Can I get an amen? God's word is sufficient. And it's sufficient for training us in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's not just so that we can sit back and keep engorging, 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 and gluttonize ourselves on the truth and never exercise it. He's saying, no, know it, hide it in your heart, memorize it, study it, and then humble yourself before it and then go and live as if it's true and obey it and believe it and obey it. Once we know the word and we believe it, we must obey it. This is what it means to be trained in righteousness. This is what Ephesians 2 is talking about when it says that we have been taken from death to life and seated with Christ. It says that we are his workmanship. We are created for the good works that he has prepared for us. He prepared good works for us to do before we were even born. And now as we know his word and we submit to his word and we obey, his word we walk in those good works that he has laid out for us to do which produces in us fruit and joy look at what jesus says in john 15 verses 7 through 11 if you have your bible go ahead and flip over there john 15 verses 7 through 11 Jesus says to his disciples and to us. He says, if you abide in me. And my words. Abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then look what he says. If you keep my commandments, if you obey me, if you do what I say, if you follow me, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he gives us the reason, the heart, right? He shows us his heart behind it. He says, these things I have spoken to you, not so that you will begrudgingly submit to me and do what I say or else you'll... No, it's not what he's saying, right? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. Jesus is joyful. Jesus perfectly followed the Father in His commands. He did everything that the Father said. And He said, you know what that produced in me? Joy. I have joy 
even knowing that I'm getting ready to be killed in a little bit. I have joy. And the purpose of this is so that the joy that I have right now by perfectly being aligned with what the Father has told me to do is produce nothing but joy. And the purpose of all this now is so that my joy that I have can be in you. That's why I'm telling you these things. That your joy may not just be like a sample, not so that you can have a little bite-sized Snickers of my joy. He's saying that your joy will be a king-size Snickers of joy. You'll have the fullness of joy. That your joy may be full. Not a little nibble. Not a little taste to just keep you going. He's saying, no, I want your, my joy that I have, I want it to be in you and I want it to be full. I want you to have the full capacity, the full plate, all of it. Man. Our joy may be full. So, so when we think about what God's commandments over us, this is how we should think about them. We shouldn't think about them like, oh, really, God? Always with the commandments. He started with 10 and he just kept going. <laughs> like, all the way, a whole other, you had part two of commandments in the New Testament. It's like, no, like, why is he telling us why we should live the way that he's telling us to live? Is it because he wants to rob us of joy? Certainly not. He wants, is, he, is he a fun sponge? I was calling Kevin a fun sponge earlier today. Because he wouldn't let his kids have more donuts. He's being a good father to them, right? He wasn't being a fun sponge. He loves his kids. He wants his kids to have joy. And so he's saying, hey, don't do that. It's not good for you. It's not to rob them of joy. It's not to say, hey, go ahead, go play in the street. Is that what you want to do? That's fine. I just want you to have fun, have joy. And that's not joyful. His commands are not to rob us of joy. When we obey Jesus from our position of acceptance and love, by His grace alone, in Christ alone, that comes to us by our faith alone, all to the glory of God alone that we read about in the Scripture alone. This is where we find joy. We obey Him from a position, not for a position. And we obey Him so that His joy may be in us and that it may be full. We must know His Word. This is why when we, when we think about the vision for our church, We have to have this. We have to have the Word as the foundation of all of it. Everything that we do has to be in and through and out of and shaped by the Word of God. Not the thoughts of Andrew or the thoughts of Wes or Scott or Joel or whoever. It's it's the Word of God. So when we preach, this is why we preach. We pick a book of the Bible and we say, okay, God, here we go. We're going to go through what you have given us. We're going to start at the top and we're going to work our way all the way through. We're not going to skip over the hard parts. We're not going to just move to the parts that are really easily digestible. No. What do you say, God? Because we know that we need it. We know that we want it. We need to memorize it. I need to memorize it. I'm terrible at Bible memorization. All the, most of the Bible memorization that I have is in King James Version from when I was a kid. That's, that's not good. So we, we have to know it. And we have to, we have to but, but see, here's the thing. There's a way of knowing it 
and even believing it and even of doing it, that's in our flesh. Right? We talked about the, the, the demons know the Bible, but they don't know it in the right way. They don't know it by the Spirit. They know about it. The demons even believe it. They believe what it says to be true. They believe that Jesus is God. They know that. They believe that. But they don't believe it from a, from a redemptive, spirit-filled, salvation perspective. They believe it in, in a fleshly, sinful, carnal way. And we can even, as we see all through the Bible, we can even obey it in our flesh. That's why Jesus says to the Pharisees, Hey, you guys are doing what I'm saying, but you're doing it in the wrong way. You're missing it. You're not, you're not listening to me. You're not seeing my heart in it. You look in the Scriptures because you think in them that's where I'm at. You're missing it. You're, you're doing all these things, but you're missing the heart. It's not by the Spirit, right? It's possible for us to, to hit these check marks in certain ways that is produced by our flesh. This is why we do it not in ourselves, but we walk by the Spirit and we abide in Jesus. We, we walk with Him and by Him and through Him. And His Spirit teaches us. That's why Jesus, when He's talking in that same conversation with the disciples, He's saying, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm sending my Spirit to you. And He will help you remember what I said. That's what He tells them. He's going he's gonna to bring to your mind the things that you need to know. Through Him. So walk in Him. Abide in Him. Go to God's Word. Ask the Spirit to help you. Don't go to God's Word hoping to be able to rebuke and correct God that day. Bring all that you have, every corner of your life, every skeleton out of the closet. Open every part of you to Him and say, okay, I, I want to know your word, God. I want to believe what it says to be true. I'm going to humble myself underneath what it's saying, and I want to obey it. But a lot of these things that you're telling me are not natural to my flesh. The things that you're commanding me to do that I'm tr- trusting is what you're saying by knowing your word, I actually can't do unless your spirit helps me to do it. I can't die to myself. I can't, rep- I can't uh, mortify my sin and get rid of it and, and purge myself of the sins that I carry in my flesh. I can't do that, God. So you have to do it. And this is our position. This is our position before him. As we know it, as we memorize it, as we study it, as we go to anvils, as we go to DNA groups and MCs, and as we sit in here on Sunday morning, this is all of our position, even the one preaching. This is, our, this is my position, not above the Word, but below the Word. As I'm preaching, I am below the Word. So if you hear me say something that's not against, that doesn't go with God's Word, I need you to tell me about it, right? And say, hey, wh- wh- why did you say that? That seems wrong. That doesn't seem to be what God is saying here. And I need to be humbled by that. And I can't just go, well, I'm the pastor and you're not. So you listen to me. That's not, that's not how this works, right? Every one of us in this room is under God's word. And we, as a church, want to put ourselves in that spot. And that's where we want to live and function and do all of our stuff, everything that we do, out of God's word. So let's know it, let's believe it, and let's obey it together as his people amen let's pray father god we uh we know that we desperately need you we need you in this god there's many times in my own heart in my own life where i come to your word and i see something where you disagree with me and i run from it and i run to somewhere else (laughs) 
I run to something easily digestible and I run to something that I can easily accomplish. I run to my past track record of what I think is righteousness and goodness before you. But God, help me help us to bring our lives to you and submit ourselves to your word and your word alone as our source of life, of teaching, of rebuke, of correction, of training in righteousness so that we as your people can be equipped and we can be ready for what you have for us as your people. And so help us by your spirit, God, not in our flesh, not of our effort. Help us. We praise you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.